Well, hey there and howdy out there in Radio Land. Come on in, sit yourself down. You're just in time for Talking Movies with my mom. Hey, how's it going? Oh, you introduced this episode now. I do? I don't know. No. Usually I jump in, but you did, so I that's forgot. okay. You better introduce it. You're better at that. Well, I was just going to let people know that this is uh, another episode of Talking Movies with my mom, a little show where we talk about movies, some of them good, some of them bad, some of them indifferent. So if that's your thing, maybe this is the show for you. And I'm your host, uh, Ben Revere, and uh, my uh, interrupting co-host today... (laughs) Oops. Is my mom. <laughs> the Minnesotans say oop. 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 I think Is it's that oop. How I say it? I don't ever know I see it written on the internet. You say oop. I don't know how it's said. You just bounce into people and say oop. <laughs> there you go. Okay, that's enough of that. Oh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. That's good. That's good. Uh, I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing well as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a good day. It is. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful, what seventy ish degree day. The smoke has cleared. The smoke has cleared, and uh, it. I thought it was a great day to sit and have a little conversation like we do. Yeah. No, it's perfect. And uh, there are people listening to this as well. Can you believe that? It's kind of really surprising. It is. <laughs> Not going to lie. <laughs> I sort of put the episodes in the back of my mind. I do like thinking, your style. Like you just like it's just a just some sort of fever dream yeah. to you. And then you just forget about it. Pretty much. It's like one of my dreams that I always have. Is this just a hallucination for it you? Could be. <laughs> Maybe we should write our own script. Well, I, are we writing a script for I this? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a girl for the movies. I like to watch them. You like to watch them. You don't like to write them. No. Oh, okay. No. But no, there are people listening, and I've been getting some good feedback. And the one thing that I find very interesting is I've had multiple multiple people comment. They say, wow, when we listen to the podcast, it's just like listening to NPR. Yeah, and that kind of takes me aback. <laughs> like, this is public radio. And I don't really understand. I, I don't know if we sound like that or not. But for all those people who enjoy it for that reason, we fucking love you. Yeah, well, thank you for the compliments. <laughs> really, this is I'm a newbie here, so. So, yeah, it's great. And, and we've had requests coming in oh. for movies to review. We've got the next couple of weeks pretty much taken care of. But uh, after that, I think we need to... We've got a list. People have uh, wrote in and they said, oh, you should check out this or that. And I haven't even gone through all of them yet. So there's quite a few stacking up. It's kind of like Christmas, something to look forward to. There you go. And uh, for anybody who's new to the program, uh, you can reach out to us we've got a facebook page that gets a little bit of traffic uh, just look up talking movies with my mom and uh, if you're feeling old school because i guess email is pretty old school now really i don't know i did, did that i must have missed the boat or something i had to go buy stamps this week you did oh wow i can't remember the last time i did buy stamps nor did i a book of stamps last me quite some time but i have the occasional bill that needs to be mailed yeah did you get a, an actual book or did you, the sheet oh they gave they don't come in a book like they used to where you tear them out no they don't and you used to have to lick them no you don't have to but it was just a little little tiny sheet that i fold up in my wallet that's what i do too but i yeah. don't really remember the last time i bought a stamp and now they said stamps are going up Really? 58 cents, I think. No kidding. I don't know what they cost now, so I don't know I don't what either. you're going up. <laughs> but I can't, I can't remember the last time I bought stamps. Yeah. I should just do it just for the sake, because I can't remember. You know, you, you never wanna, know when you need a stamp. You want to buy the forever stamps, because then if they go up, you can still use them. Yeah. Yeah. 
So if anybody uh, is a, a into, you know, a stamp aficionado and you want to talk about that or you want to talk about other movies or other things or whatever you want to talk about, you can send us an email, no stamp required, to talkingmovieswithmymom at gmail.com. So there we go. Correspondence. Wow. I don't it's know fun. what what I was at the post office if email is old school. Well, Oof. that's the thing. I don't know. I'm a dinosaur. I don't know. Some one of these days, I think somebody will teach me how to uh, to chat snap or whatever the hell it is the kids. I don't are doing. understand Snapchat. Let's not even go there. All right, we it's won't. Another topic. Well, why don't we change topics? Because we do have a movie to talk about today. Yeah. It was one that uh, kind of you and I uh, serendipitously stumbled upon together and said it would be good for the show. Yeah. And uh, we were stuck in the 70s for a while, but we're crawling our way out uh, today because this movie is from 1991, an American comedy drama film titled The Fisher King. Yeah. Yeah. Robin Williams. Rob, I was. <laughs> you Sorry, were just I'm taking your lines me. again. No, I thought you were going to jump in and and tell people who was in it, and oh. you might as well go ahead. It's Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges. I always you had, get Jeff and Bo mixed up. I have no idea Bo's why. Bo's the older one. Yeah. That's all you got to know. So yeah, it's Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges. Robin and Williams, and I think it's well, and to say it's Robin Williams at his best, it's like, what was his best? He had so many bests. He was so talented. Just, Just un, it, it's indescribable. I don't, it, it's... It's mind-blowing. It is. How many different things he did, because he's obviously known for his comedy, but his drama and his acting, all of it together, he was just... And you see thing. so much of it in this movie. This movie... I feel came at a unique point in Robin Williams' career because he was known as more of a comic. Right. And it, it, this was 1991, so he was starting to dabble with drama on screen. I mean, he studied at Juilliard, for crying out loud. He where was did, an actor. Where did he start with his career? Was it Mark and Mindy? That was his, Mark and Mindy was his first big break. Yeah. Yeah. And that was total comic. Well, and he was also a stand-up right. during that time. So right. he had had some some fame. But as far as like uh, any Hollywood notoriety, it was Mark and Mindy. Yeah, but this film does draw many different aspects of his talents together. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's a whole package. There's so much going on in this film. And uh, we've only just scratched the surface of it. But uh, just to give a little bit of context, uh, this was uh, 1991, directed by Terry Gilliam of Monty Python fame. Uh, he was the guy who did all the animating and fun stuff for them. You know all that technical. I never know all that. Part. And we'll talk about it as we move along. But uh, just to give a little quick synopsis of what's going on here. Uh, the film tells the story of a radio shock jock who tries to find redemption by helping a man whose life he inadvertently shattered. It explores the intermingling of New York City's usually strictly separated social strata and has been described as a modern-day grail quest that fused New York romantic comedy with timeless fantasy. It does do all And I that. think that's just a fancy way of saying there is a lot of shit going on in oh, this man, movie. Oh, there is. It's like, you know, <laughs> I kind of pulled it up just remembering vaguely what was in it because I hadn't watched it for a long time and watching it again was just like, wow. It's kind of mind-blowing. It really is. It takes a lot of different directions. Mm -hmm. It's one of those movies where you're watching it and it evolves into something else within the blink of an eye. Yeah, you're talking within seconds. Absolutely. Yeah. There's uh, The cast is absolutely fantastic, uh, which we'll talk about uh, as after we come back from our break. Uh, but we've got Robin Williams, Jeff Bridges, 
uh, Mercedes Rule, uh, who was, you pointed out, you really liked her. Uh, Amanda Plummer, and one of my favorites, Michael Jetter. He was the guy from uh, the Green Mile, had the little mouse. Yeah, yeah, he's good. I like him. He is good, and uh, we're going to talk about him. But I just wanted to let everybody know kind of what you're dealing with as far as this picture is concerned, because uh, we're going to we're gonna do a little play pretend in this case because you and I aren't actually going to, when we go to the break, watch the movie because we've both... We've recently revisited it. Usually we break and we actually watch the thing and then talk about it, but uh, we're just going to take five and stretch our legs a little bit. But for everybody at home playing the home game, this is your opportunity to pause the record, and you can find this movie on Amazon Prime right now. that's where I watched it. Yeah, that's where I caught it too. So it is free to stream on Amazon Prime. I'm sure if you don't have that, you can find it to rent in other places. But we'll take a little pause for the cause, give you a chance to watch the movie, and when we come back, we'll talk all about what we find with The Fisher King. Hey gang, are you looking for some stickers? You know, those fun little things that you put on coffee cups or water bottles. Hell, some of you might be crazy enough to even put them on the bumper of your car. Well, I want to let you know that Art Riot Promotions is there for you to stick a bit of fun back into your life. If you're promoting a small business or a band or even a podcast, Art Riot is ready to deliver. Check them out at 819 Main Avenue in Moorhead, Minnesota, or online at artriotpromotions.com. Art Riot Promotions, bringing a little bit of weird back to Fargo-Moorhead. And just like magic, we're back from our break. Poof. Poof. Here we are, back in your ear holes. Is that a good way to address our audience? No. I've heard other people on podcasts say that, like, oh, we're coming right into your ear holes. Sounds kind of creepy like a worm in your ear. It's probably the way I say it, too. Yeah, I guess you, you could know, put it different ways. If you put it in a different context, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. No, probably not. This is probably why I don't date all that much. I thought we're back for your listening enjoyment. (laughs) To your ear holes. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Love that. Do they talk about ear holes on NPR? I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe we should write to them and say, hey, we got a great idea for you. We've we've been told that we, we sound good, so they should hire us, and we'll pitch a whole show about ear holes yeah i'm sure they'll jump at that yeah that'll get their memberships Mm -hmm. going through the roof hey why don't we uh, talk about the subject at hand which is from 1991 this was directed by terry gilliam an american comedy drama film starring robin williams and jeff bridges among others the fisher king Mom, what are your initial thoughts? I just, there's so much going on in this movie from drama to comedy that stirs there's up. There's some fantasy in it too. Fantasy. It stirs up so many emotions going up and down. It seems almost like a you peak one minute and the next minute you're going back down. It's a little bit of a roller coaster ride. Yeah, but you're like doing the high climbing. doing a death drop on some parts (laughs) that is absolutely true it's i I don't know where do you even begin i mean the story begins with jeff bridges is playing like kind of like a howard stern sort of shock jock you know sort of guy on the radio and uh, jack lucas is his character's name and it starts out focusing around him and he's at the top of his career but then very quickly, some of the things that he's saying on the air has 
festered some ill feelings amongst some of his listeners. And there's an unfortunate massacre that happens right at the beginning of the film where this lunatic listening to the radio goes in with, uh, was it a shotgun? Yeah. You know, I don't think they ever really reveal what he was mad about. I I think it was a, a case of, and this happens a lot, even still, I think, where there are very lonely people that need something to cling to. So they cling to these personalities. And this, I don't know how much in radio anymore, but in the 90s, definitely, there were a lot of people that would listen religiously to these shows, and it's all they had. That's true. It became their family, so to say. There's other cases of people who think that soap operas are real. Yeah. And and they, you know, that they've met these actors and they say, no, you're that character. And they live in this disillusionment. And in some cases, unfortunately, it gets violent. And yeah, that's, and that's what, what happens here, at the yeah. beginning of this movie. Don't worry, folks. There's some laughs coming up. This is... <laughs> It this does is a start very out, somber beginning to the film. It does start out with a really somber beginning that you think maybe it's just going to be a total downer movie, and it's not. Well, and getting back to what you talk about in the roller coaster of this story, we see it right away at the beginning because we see Jack Lucas at the height of his you know whole thing. is, And I love the song that they're backing it up with. It's Hit the Road, Jack. Yeah. And he's jiving out, and he's number one on the air. And then what do we cut to? We cut immediately to this guy that was psychologically imbalanced and kind of bought into, was he manipulated by Jack? Who knows? There was something going on with this guy, but Jack Lucas is tied to it because they said it was because of what he heard on the radio that he goes and shoots up an entire restaurant. Right. The highs and lows start right at the beginning. They definitely do. And it continues forward from there. It does set the theme for the whole movie. It does. Because, okay, kind of fast-tracking a little bit. Uh, Jack Lucas is no longer in radio. He's he's bunking it with his girlfriend, uh, played by uh, Mercedes Rule, who is just great. She as, does such a good little bimbo. She is. You said it. You were like, she plays the perfect bimbo. She's she just fantastic. She's got at the that. whole package to play the bimbo. Yes, and uh, she was uh, the one that I remember her movie that I remember from was Married to the Mob. Yeah, from nineteen eighty eight. She played. Uh, she was Dean Stockwell's girlfriend in that, and she wasn't quite as submissive in Married to the Mob as she is in The Fisher King. The Fisher King, she's just throwing herself at Jeff Bridges. Oh, yeah, she's the like at time. his feet all the time. And uh, so he's living with her above her uh, video rental store, which is one of those things I love that's tied into this movie. Is there because video rentals that's not a thing anymore it used to be though. it used to it was be a big We've deal to go to town it. and get one yeah it was a whole process but he's you know trying to figure his life out and you know still i well i mean his career ended he his career ended with the big shootout and he just didn't it get was probably it. now that i think of it it was it's like cancel culture that we have now yeah very you know, much he got like canceled that. because because this thing was following him, and yeah. I think and and we see that he did carry some guilt. Yeah, from he it did. Too. That comes out later. It movie. comes out later. So he's out one night, and I can't remember what he's doing, but he ends up down by like the pier or something, and these two kids like want to come up and attack him, and they you know beat him up and everything, and then who comes to his rescue? Perry. Perry. We meet Robin Williams' character. Yes. Who is just the, probably the, it, Robin Williams plays probably the best bum I have ever seen in I would my agree. Life. I would agree on that. He had <laughs> all of it there, yeah. And he pops up like the hero, and he's going to rescue Jack. Right. 
and he does and then they end up uh, he, he wakes up the next day and he's in he's at Perry's house which, which is just a really boiler house. room yeah in the bottom of an apartment building and this is where their this is where their friendship blossoms <laughs> yeah it's it's an odd match it is because Jack was kind of at the top of his career and full of himself and then got lost all that yeah and then he meets up with this bum who literally saved his life right yeah and uh, with that they kind of then Jack is sucked into Perry's world which gets complicated I think Jack wanted to think that Perry's world was broken somehow and he had to fix it. Well, and we'll get to that in a second because this is just after Jack wakes up and he, you know, was talking with Perry. They're in the boiler room and Perry is telling him about the day when he was taking a shit. Oh, that's right. He's, he's I, oh, and it's Robin Williams' phrasing that's absolutely beautiful with it because. You, it's one of those things you never know. Was it written on the page or did he just make it up? And I asked you that during that scene. I asked you, is he making it up? And then I also commented that for Jeff Bridges, sometimes it would be hard to play opposite of that. Without, I think that's the case for any actor it. that ever worked with Williams. Without losing it because he just goes into his mode and... There's no stopping it. No, and you don't want to stop it. No. It's so effortless. So he's, you know, playing Perry. He's talking about it. And he said something about, I was sitting and I was having the most beautiful bowel movement of the day. And all of a sudden, these fat floating people came out in front of me. And he's just, he's describing this hallucination while he's taking a shit. And this is where his, uh, the Holy Grail comes into the whole thing. Yeah. Because he's been told by the little fat floating people that he has to go and get the Holy Grail and he's traced it back to this one building in New York that looks like a castle it actually does and there's a trophy that's sitting on the shelf that looks like the Holy Grail that looks like the Holy Grail of some like millionaire yeah and he says to Jeff Bridges this is what I got to do this is my you know meaning and purpose in life Right. And that's it. That's all that Jack knows about this guy. He he saved him the night before, and he was grateful of that, but he doesn't know anything else. Well, then he stirs, still starts to feel bad for him, and it's not until he's when he leaves, because he's thinking, okay, this guy saved me. That's great. He told me his cockamamie story. I, I did my deed. Right. You know, he saved me. I gave him a little company. Now I'm going to move on with my life. Well, then he goes up the stairs and the superintendent catches him and says, hey, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm visiting Perry. Oh, he's not supposed to have visitors. I'm just helping him out after the tragedy. And Jeff Bridges looks back at him and says, what tragedy? And then he tells him that uh, Perry used to be I can't remember what his real name was oh. Henry something or other yeah. but he made the superintendent tells him that he Robin Williams was at that restaurant with his wife that night that the lunatic shot everybody up yeah he had a whole other life before he hit this point of being a bum in a well he spent room. time in an insane asylum yep and he was completely uh he wouldn't speak. He was, uh, what's the word Catatonic. for it? Catatonic. Catatonic. Couldn't move. Yeah, didn't move or anything. No and blinking, then, no nothing. And then, you know, when he got out, they said, well, let's send him home. Well, he didn't have his apartment anymore. And yeah, then, and so the superintendent of the building had offered him the boiler room. So now Jeff Bridges is left with all this guilt yeah, because he finds out that it's sucked into his life. Like, I've got to do something. He feels responsible because of the shooting was connected to him. So he, as far as the radio. Right. And so he feels responsible for The Perry. one line that sticks with me is when it's when he realizes his connection to Perry. 
and he's sitting at home and he's going through all the newspaper clippings. They started out when, you know, he was top and everybody's Jack is on the air and it's great. And then it slowly goes into the headlines about the shooting and uh, Mercedes rule comes in to kind of console him. And he looks at her and he says, I just want to pay the fine and go home. Yeah. He thought he could just pay it and it would end all the misery there. And, Right. Everybody would live happily ever after. So he tracks down Perry and he actually tries to give him some money. Right. But then he finds, nope, there's more to this story because Perry is is, is hot after a a particular woman. Oh, yeah. This part is where you start to see more. This is where we switch gears. It switches gears and he's kind of, I wouldn't call it stalking. I would call it stalking. You would? It's straight up stalking. But it, it's friendly stalking <laughs> if there's such a thing because... What are you talking about? Of course he's stalking this yeah, guy. he is, when but he means first, no harm. When we first see him, you know what he's doing? He's sitting on the roof of a car yeah. that's parked and he's staring up at the clock tower and he's, he's he's got some sort of chant or something that he's saying... And and then the struck uh, the clock strikes twelve, and then he's like jump on the curb because that's when Amanda Plummer, her character, pops out of the revolving door, right. and he knows every move she makes. He knows everything about You're her. Right. He, he knows on Tuesdays she gets a new book. He knows that she goes to the Chinese restaurant and she's trying to slurp dumplings and they always end up in her lap. He knows that she gets a jawbreaker. Okay. He's stalking her. You're right. But stalking <laughs> always has like a evil connotation. So he's stalking her in a, in a romantically friendly way. He's admiring her from afar is more what I would like to say. Well, and that actually would tie into the whole motif that they have around the Holy Grail. Because in revisiting this, I've seen this movie quite a few times, and it's one of those, and we've talked about other movies, where you watch it and you you find things that you didn't see the first time or the fifth time or the 100th time. There's some movies you find something new. There's so many things going on, it would be easy to... And when I revisited this one, it was... I noticed the... It's great to figure out, and foreshadowing is always hindsight, you know, sometimes. That's true. But I revisited this, and it's at the beginning when... Uh, Jack is st- just starting to get to know Perry. And I think it's the second time that he goes to visit him and he's not there. So he's just going through his stuff. And there's a shrine that Perry has in the corner. I don't know who the picture is. It's something, it looks like some sort of icon, a Christian icon. And there's some candles that are there. But then Jack starts going through the stuff and there's an old romance novel that's sitting there. There's a box, an empty box of Chinese food. There's the little oh, that's right. candy dish with jawbreakers. Yep. And then below that, uh, like with a shroud, almost like it's a holy thing, that's where he keeps the Holy Grail book that right. he has. And so it is kind of like he's he's Don Quixote. Yeah. You know, he thinks he's a knight. And that kind of ties it. So when you say that admiring from afar. It does almost tie it to her. Like he's going to rescue her and save her. And he's going to be her prince. Yes. Yeah. Which then. So uh, this would be a good time to talk about how that all ties into the title being the Fisher King. Right. Because we learn that. When Perry in his previous life, he was a college professor who specialized in history. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of these folkloric histories that he studied. And he briefly does tell the story of who the Fisher King is. Like they're the chosen one. To Is it to find the grail? I think it is. It's to find the grail. But then I had asked you. Yes. Who is the Fisher King? In this story? It's hard for me to determine. 
I think I think it's Jack. I think it's Jack. See, I see it the other way. Because really? it, yeah, because Jack is lost after the whole thing goes down with the shooting. And yeah. he has no purpose in his life. He's going through his old stuff and living above the video store. And then out of the blue, Perry comes into his life. And Perry's quirky, let's face it. He's like... Oh, yeah. You don't know if it's all there. Well, uh, cloud busting. Yeah. Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, this would be a good point because (laughs) this is where I'm getting on the Fisher King thing is... Perry, Robin Williams, yeah, introduces Jack to some really weird things that Jack never would have tried. No, well, cloud busting, I love because really all it boiled down to was going out in Central Park and stripping down till you're naked and laying in the grass and staring at clouds until your mind busts them apart. That's right. <laughs> Have and you Jack ever is gone like, cloud busting? No, I probably never will. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I could take the bugs. Well, yeah, I don't know how many bugs are in Central Park, but there's got to be a few. But this is where it begins with Perry introducing Jack to a whole other part of the world and seeing things, seeing things differently. Yes, yes. And so that's where I think... He's the Fisher King. You think that Perry is the Fisher King? Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. It could go either way depending on how you look at it. Because I thought it was Jack because Perry told him that he was the chosen one. Well, yeah, because if you look at it from the perspective of... Because I don't think Perry would have been able... Perry, no. Perry would not have been able to get the grail without Jack. Okay, so this is how you're looking at it with the perspective of is the Fisher King only interested in finding the Grail or does the Fisher King have a bigger mission? That's where I'm looking at it in a different way. That is, yeah. that's. I'm looking at it in a deeper way, which sometimes I shouldn't do, but I'm looking at it more from the view of is the Fisher King really after the Grail or is the Fisher King there to help someone? That was what I viewed it as, but I probably viewed it wrong. Well, it's up for interpretation. You know, Mm -hmm. we're talking about taking, and this is what this movie, I find, one of the things that I find so fun about it, and Terry Gilliam was the perfect guy to do it, is to take those very, very old folklore and be able to retell that in a modern contemporary tale. Right. It's a continuation of the mythology. So when we're sitting here asking these questions of who is the Fisher King, these are questions that probably have been asked well before we came along and well before Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges came along. Right. So it's fun in that respect, I Part think. Part of the beauty of it to me is I think you could see the Fisher King from both sides, that they're each different to each other, but they're both Fisher King. They're both on that path looking for the Holy Grail. And the Holy Grail for Perry is the cup on the shelf. But what is the Holy Grail for Jack? That's the way I was looking at it, if that makes sense. It does. And I think it's interesting because you can look at this movie from multiple perspectives as far as how it's affected. There's not really... I think both... Robin Williams is Perry and Jeff Bridges is Jack. Yeah. They equally carry this film. Oh, they definitely do. Both characters do. You wouldn't be able to do it without... You couldn't have one without the other. And one doesn't play more into it than the other. They play off of each other. Absolutely. They're like opposites on that with how they deal with things. And how they think about the world. They're completely different viewpoints. And, but in some strange way, you see, it's the emotional connection, I think, is where they they find their common ground. Right, because honestly, I don't think that Jack believed that the Holy Grail was that cup on a shelf in some guy's house. 
But I don't. Uh, well, I. Th- I mean, he was pretty but delusional. But for him, Jack. Oh, not Jack. No, no. Yeah, Jack. It wasn't. But no. for Jack, Jack comes to realize that Perry needs that. That is Perry's holy grail. Yeah. But then the question is, on the other flip, what is Jack's holy grail? He wanted to pay the fine and move on with life. Right. And he, but he gains a lot more because yes. through because this is where I wanted to take this now because in a moment we're going to talk about one of my favorite moments in the movie with one of my favorite character actors, Michael Jetter, who is just fantastic. Yes. That bushy mustache, it makes me smile every time <laughs> I see it. I love good. the guy. Yeah. But, um, okay, so Jack's trying to pay his fine, and part of that is getting Perry hooked up with his woman that he's been admiring from afar. And playing the whole matchmaker thing. This is where I, this is the fun part of the movie. There's so many highs and lows, and this high is so much fun. It does. Because what they do a point where you're just laughing. Oh, it's hilarious. I love it. Because what they do is Jack tries to set this whole thing up that uh, Lydia is her name. Legality. The gal that Perry is stalking. He's stalking. <laughs> yeah, he is. Okay, okay. I'll use that word. I guess that word can be used and not be evil. There you go. <laughs> Apparently. But at any rate, they go to her office uh, to, well, first they try and call her. Right. And and it doesn't go right. She's going to win a video. Well, she was. he was trying to do that, but uh, Mercedes Rule was in the other room, and she says, who are you talking to? You got a woman on the line? She yeah. thinks that he's two-timing here. Right. <laughs> and he's really trying to call Lydia to say, hey, you won you know, a, a year of free movies. Well, so that goes south, and he has to tell Mercedes Rule that I'm not cheating on you. I'm trying to hook up you know, my new homeless friend with his dream girl. And she thinks that's so romantic. So then she starts helping out. She gets involved. She gets involved. But they also recruit. Uh, and I I got to see what his... I don't remember his, what his character I was. Don't think, I think his character was just like the cabaret bum. Yeah, I don't think they actually named Michael him. Michael Jetter. He was cast as the homeless cabaret singer. Yeah, I don't think he had a name. He didn't. <laughs> He was just the homeless cabaret singer. And he plays that part And he well. plays it so beautifully. He does. Because they pull him in, and they get him all dolled up, and, and he's in drag. I mean, he's got that big bushy mustache. Right. Just floating yeah, out he's there. He's such a wiry little guy. Uh, he is. And, uh, and then he's got the big bunch of balloons. And my favorite part is the fact that they chose Gypsy. Yeah. As the source material for this. Yeah. Because he's like the singing telegram and he goes to the front desk like, I've got a delivery for Lydia. And they're like, oh, we'll bring it back. Nope, it's a personal message. I have to go. And, and he goes back there. And what he does with his voice. I don't know that, how he I does have that. no idea. Because it's not dubbed. No, it's not. No. It, it, and just the... <sighs> It's not really a full falsetto. It's like he's in that higher range. Yeah, it's it's kind of curious to know how he does that. And the tap dancing that he does. The just, whole shtick. It's just fantastic. It's just, everything's coming up videos. And the whole office <laughs> is standing there just watching him. Nobody's laughing. They're just watching. Just in awe of this. Like, or look at that. Or what the hell is this? Right. And, and that's how they lure Lydia into the video store. And then and then you get to see this beautiful bumbling romance. That's between, where it starts, yeah. Between Perry and Lydia. And they're both awkward. Yes. They're just they're They're, just they're as awkward people. as each other. And they complement each other in that way. Yes. I think Perry tries. Like when they when they do the double date. Yeah. And they go to the Chinese restaurant. And the dumplings are flying around. The and, and he's doing it too, like humoring her. Yeah. Like, you know, and then it uh, this gets to another of one of my favorite moments in the movie. 
talking about this roller coaster ride of emotions that this we is got. like the death drop it really is uh it's so perry is walking lydia home and lydia gets to the point where she's like okay it's the end of the evening and she's thinking this is like a first date maybe a one night stand and that's it and she goes through and does this explanation to him of, well, you'll come upstairs and you'll stay a while and then you'll leave in the morning and you'll say you'll call and I'll wait, but you won't call. And, and she does. She goes through the entire course of their relationship in like 30 seconds. Yeah. And he turns to her and is so heartfelt and says, no, I, I don't want just tonight. I want more than that. This is where Robin Williams really shines. Oh, it gives me chills because just his, thinking about it. The way he delivers his lines are exactly that heartfelt. That you can just feel the emotion that would be between these two characters. Right. It's it, it it's just it's such a beautiful moment. It brings it brings a tear to your eye. And then they kiss and she goes upstairs which I think she says you can call me right and he's standing there just enjoying that beautiful moment because he gave her hope that he's not going to be the one night stand right he's got something it, this is what he's wanted this is see now that I'm thinking about it I think Lydia was Perry's holy grail Oh, that's probably true. I think. Or maybe if we're going to follow the whole folklore thing, maybe maybe Lydia was his Guinevere. Yeah. You know, maybe that was it. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's hard to say. But he's standing there in the street, and he's just beaming. It's like, this is perfect. This is what he always wanted. Yeah, he's he's really in the joyful moment. And then, like, in within not even it's a seconds. Blink. It's a blink. He has a flashback. I don't even think it's established what triggers it. I don't know if it's because where he's at geographically or what. But he has a flashback to the night that he lost his wife. The okay, night that I'm going to stop you. Go I ahead. I think I know what triggers it. What's that? Because he has that moment of love again with Lydia. Oh. And his flashback comes back to his wife who he yes. adores. Who died tragically. That's what I got from that scene. No, I think you're absolutely right. And that's what triggers his hallucination at that point. And the hallucination is, this is again another beautiful product from Terry Gilliam. Because it's that menacing red knight. Yeah. That's just chasing after him. And he runs through the streets hysterically. And it, it's just, you were on, he was on cloud nine just moments before. Yeah, in a and blink. And now it's just, it's it's fear, it's fire, it's... It's it, the fight or flight. Yes, and running from things as fast as you can. And it, it honestly, it gives me chills even just thinking about it. When I watch that scene, like I said... I started to tear up because it's so beautiful. Because I think it's all the emotions that he was experiencing from the joy of the love. And yeah. then it goes all the way to the tragedy of losing his wife and going through that horrific thing and having his mind have to deal with it. Right. But like I said, I start to tear up because it's so beautiful when he's you know pouring his heart out to Lydia it's such a beautiful moment and then I keep crying throughout the next scene but I'm crying for completely different reasons yeah he takes you to that low low point where it's like wow he's had terrible sorrows in his life yeah you know? and they're haunting him they are it's well it was a very traumatic thing and it's part of his his day-to-day -day. and you know being now the person that he is he's got to deal with his own psychosis as if it is a reality because it is a reality it is a reality for him it's completely yeah. a reality it's so and much robin williams plays it so well oh like a reality he, i don't think there's anybody else who could have played no, this part no 
There isn't. No. He just it's stellar performance. Yeah. To take you that far to a high of joy and drop down to such a low point in a matter of seconds is just amazing. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it's wild. There's a lot of there's a lot to soak in with this movie. There is. And anybody uh, that isn't familiar with it, make yourself familiar with it because it's it's a beautiful picture emotionally. It's, yeah, it's well worth watching because there's a lot of things going on in it. There is. Uh, speaking of other things going on in it, uh, there are a few notable little, uh, some of them you could go, say a cameo, but some supporting actors that are in this movie that are a lot of fun. Uh, David Hyde Pierce, yep. who is probably best known for playing Niles Crane on yep. Frasier. Uh, he plays uh, the agent for Jack, and he's got some good scenes in that. Yeah, he does. I always enjoy him. He just He's good at playing a dweeb. That's true. I think, yeah. Yeah, he does. He has a look. I don't know if you caught this one, uh, but uh, cast as the crazed video customer, uh, Kathy Najimy. You remember Kathy Najimy? No. She was in uh, Sister Act. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was also in another one of your favorite movies, Hocus Pocus. Yes. And uh, she has a, a brief moment. She does have just there. a moment in there. Yeah. yeah. Probably earlier in her career. Very just much a earlier in her career. And Tom Waits is in this yep. movie, too, and has a fun little scene. I love seeing Tom Waits in movies. I mean, most people know him for his music, and, and, and he's got his own delivery with it, but he just, he's great on screen. He is. And he's one of those actors where if you give him a moment, he'll, he'll just run with it. He's uh, somewhat not near as improvisational as Robin Williams was, but who can rise to that? But Tom Waits has a little bit of his own. Yeah, he does. Improv uh, improvisational style, which is just so much fun. Can we talk about when he goes back into the psychiatric ward? At the end? Yeah, or am I racing too far ahead? No, that's fine. We could talk about that. Unless you have something else in between that. Well, I might have some stuff to wrap it up with, but if you've got, you've got something to talk about, talk about it. Well, there's just that scene where he ends up back in the psych ward after he has his breakdown, right? Right, yep. And, and he's catatonic he's again. He's catatonic, and I know that when you're catatonic, some people don't even blink. They're like totally still. So I don't know what the connection is with the Pinocchio toy. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up because I wonder Because this all comes too. into this scene. Yes. So he has the Pinocchio toy, but the Pinocchio toy showed up earlier in the movie. Well, yeah. So briefly. You see it throughout because it's, I think they grabbed it on the street or something when... He was running away with Jack. I think that's where the Pinocchio doll, it's a wooden doll, pops right. up. And it's red. And it's red. And then the morning after the, the, the that attack, when Jack wakes up in Perry's boiler room, he tries to give it to him. Right. And Jack says, no, no, you hang on to it. But he and almost then you points it, it at him like... like at different points where he's making it like he thinks Jack's lying. Yes, Maybe I read right. that well, into there. I don't, I don't know. know. It is an interesting thing. I don't know if there's any symbolism behind it, but I did notice it too. Yeah. So it's interesting that you brought that up because I was wondering. At first, I thought, I don't know why. Maybe it was because it was just a pointy hat. I was had my own little Mandela effect in my head and thought it was something to Peter Pan. Which and maybe I was thinking of Robin Williams when he was Peter Pan and Hook, but then I was like, no, that's not it. It's and that's, Pinocchio. It, it is Pinocchio. So I don't know. There's I a don't... couple scenes where the Pinocchio comes up, and you wonder if he's pointing it at Jack, like you're I not telling know. the truth. That's a good question. If but anybody has any ideas out there that's listening to this, I'm curious about the Pinocchio doll. I really if, am. If you guys know what we're talking about, or if you watch the movie and you notice this too. 
send us a message because yeah. this is this is a fun conversation yeah. right here to think about because it's an odd little thing that's in there but it yeah. keeps popping up well then when, it does. He's, when he's in the psych ward yes jack comes to visit him and he has the pinocchio toy and if you note the whole psych ward it's all white and grays and there's no color so no. they're panning through and jack's carrying the pinocchio doll and, and it, it's so vibrant. Yes. Yeah, so there's yeah. this red Pinocchio doll. And then they pan up to Robin Williams in his catatonic state in his bed. <laughs> and I can't. This is another point where you just chuckle. Because it's this bad scene where you know he's back where he was being catatonic, which isn't good. But the bed he's in is made up in all these colorful sheets. And he's in these outrageously colorful polka dot pajamas and jack takes the pinocchio doll and places it in his hands and i commented to you yeah i found it interesting that he was the only color everything else is oh as far as robin williams yes yes all of the other bedding is all white everybody else is is dressed in white and Robin Williams is wearing some of the most colorful pajamas. I think they have sliced watermelons on them. And then yes, the bottoms <laughs> are like polka dot, big, large polka dot rings. And he's got the fun, you know, comforter and everything. And he had the kids' sheets that are all colorful. I don't remember God, what character was Now you bring this up again, and now I, now I want to change my answer. I think that, that Perry was the Fisher King. Because why else would he be dressed like that? There you go. See, that's you why there's little things like that. The whole movie takes you back and forth on who is the Fisher King. Yeah. 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 I and he know. doesn't. He doesn't come out of his catatonic state even with Pinocchio, though. No. So then. Yeah. Jack has a little more work to do. And he gets the Grail. Yeah. Which let's let's just leave that out to the imagination. We've already told these people plenty enough about this movie. <laughs> but the ending scene where Lydia's coming back. Oh yes. And they're singing. And I like New York in June. How about you? And Perry like Robin Williams too. is directing all the people that are in the psych ward. Yes, the most insane choir you've probably ever seen in your life. There again, it makes you wonder who is the Fisher King, who is rescuing who? Because at this point in time, know. Jack is like totally accepting of the fact that he can't change Perry's life. Perry has this dark cloud that he has to live with and the the monsters that follow yep. him. And Jack's beginning to accept that. Yeah. Yeah. It's Well, they do end the movie. They're both cloud busting. Yes. And they're both down to nothing. And Jack actually participates. Yes. He he strips down too. But there is that whole thing of Jack was gonna rescue Perry. But I think Perry rescued Jack I too. They, they I, each other. Yeah, I I what I look at it as it was mutual. They it definitely each was. Other. That's why I don't think you can determine who is the Fisher King. Maybe Jack's Fisher King was Perry, and Perry's Fisher King. That's was what I Jack. think. See, that's what I think. I don't think it has anything to do with the Grail. Yeah. I really don't. I think it's more of your interaction with another person. Right. But that scene with the color just stands out. And that's another testament to Terry Gilliam and his directing style. That's what you said. Because the other thing, I'm glad you reminded me of this because I wanted to mention it, is his use of camera angles. He does some of the most beautiful, like, low-angle shots that that look like part comic book, but kind of like part, like like every time you went into one of the villain's lairs on the 1960s Batman and the camera's like kind of tilted yep. just in that one awkward way. Like he, Terry Gilliam has a way of doing that and his use of light and color and everything. It's just, I, I think this was a great film for him to do because it his wheelhouse is definitely in the fantasy and to push it as far as possible. Yeah. But this was kind of grounded in a reality too. So as a filmmaker, 
then he's kind of like, okay, now I, I, you know, you can do the fanciful stuff, but this kind of taught him how to make a more mainstream movie, if you yeah, will. Yeah, he did, but the way they pan into the bed at that point. Oh, yeah. With all the color, and you can't help but smile. No, it's And you're it's smiling, so but fun. the guy is in a catatonic state. That's the weird dichotomy it's of it. It's the highs and the lows. It is. It's like, oh, God, he's still in a bad place, but... Look at that. They gave him colored sheets. I know, right? Yeah. So a couple of fun facts I wanted to just share about this uh, picture. This was the first film directed by Terry Gilliam to not feature any other members of Monty Python. Oh. So I think this is where Terry Gilliam kind of broke out from his comfort zone a little bit. Right. Because he went on to do other movies as well. Well, they're all kind of weird in their own right. Uh, Things like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, um, uh, Seven, I believe he did as well. Uh, Or No, not Seven. Twelve Monkeys. I knew there was a number in it. Oh, yeah, Twelve Monkeys. But at any rate, uh, this was kind of, I think... uh, a little bit of a stepping stone for him to turn into going other directions and uh, just the amount of grandeur that goes into some of his productions uh, do you remember the waltzing commuter scene this is when yes yes this was when Perry he, is following Lydia. And he's imagining his romance with Lydia. Right. He's fantasizing the whole thing. And Grand Central Station becomes this huge ballroom. That is an amazing scene. And you see all these people dancing. It, it, it's And it's not like they're dressed up in tuxedos and dresses. It's like there's cops dancing with other cops. Yeah, they're all in their work clothes right they're all just in their just normal clothes but for that scene the main hall of the terminal was shut down for the shoot from 8 p.m until the first commuter train arrived at 5 30 a.m the next morning wow it was completely done overnight huh yeah it was there were over 400 extras waltzing around and it was, people said it was like New Year's Eve is what it felt like. Well, and it looked like that. It did. It did look like that. But could you imagine doing a whole overnight shoot in Grand Central Station? Yeah, that place don't close. Right. You right? know, it's Like, how do you get away with that? But again, you know, if anybody was going to make it happen, it, it was, was going to be And that is a good scene to note in the movie. Absolutely. It's so much fun. And there are these little gems that come about throughout it. The music. Well, I always the music gravitate is, towards music. But the music is awesome. Yeah. A lot of fun stuff in there. Yeah. And uh, the, I guess the only other thing that I wanted to mention was that I found really fun about this is... It was a TriStar picture. I commented to you about it before yeah. we jumped out. I was like, oh, hey, it's a TriStar picture because you never see TriStar anymore. And I just love seeing that winged horse just run yep. up at the beginning of it. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I It's fun for me. Because I pulled it up and you came in the room. You're like, what are you watching? It's a TriStar picture. Well, yeah. you know, there are there, there's only so many pictures now that we can call TriStar pictures because Columbia bought up TriStar, and I think Sony bought out Columbia. Who knows at this point? Nobody or knows any who owns rate, what. Yeah, who knows? It who is cares? a good film, though. It's The Fisher King is a great it's film. It's well worth the watch. Yeah, you'd recommend this to your friends? Oh, I absolutely would. Yeah. I would watch it again even now, like I watched it, you know, not long ago. You find little things here and there. Because when we were talking, I, I start to remember things that I didn't notice the first time, and then you start talking about it, and you're like, oh, yeah, that happened. Yeah. Yeah, and it does take you on an emotional coaster. Emotional roller coaster. Roller coaster ride, yeah. Yeah, Not not, Not not a coaster not to put your drink on. (laughs) (laughs) Could you hand me one of those emotional coasters? I'm feeling a little leaky. I'm having a moment. I need a beer. (laughs) Emotional coasters. Is that something we could market? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Sounds like something for someone that's needy. I have no idea. (laughs) 
Well, at any rate, uh, The Fisher King from 1991. We had a lot of fun with this movie. I, I hope you out there have fun with it, too. It's on Amazon Prime right now, streaming, but I'm sure you can find it to rent at other places. And thank you for joining us uh, for a little conversation about it. Yeah, it was fun. And in the meantime, uh, keep those messages coming through. Our email address is talkingmovieswithmymum at gmail.com. You can reach out to us via Facebook as well. Uh, just search for Talking Movies with My Mum. We'd love to hear from you. And we do. We've got a long list of requests to get through, Mum. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's going to be... Uh, you're, you're, you're in it for the long haul That's now. okay, because I... I need requests because I'm renowned for picking the dumper movies. Yeah, you do that from time yeah, to time. I do. If there's but... a wolf in it or a bear chasing something, <laughs> your dad goes, oh, no. I'm like, wow, who's the first one on the list? Well, keep those messages and those requests coming in, gang. Uh, we want to thank you for joining us. And next time, we'll see you at the movies.